Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the podcast. I'm Redrix, and I'm here today with my wonderful co-host, Boro Comsword, and today we'll be discussing the early eras of the Tao Empire. We're also joined by Cosmonaut Kane, 666BossRan, Pickled, Black Comet1224, as well as many others in the audience who participated in the discussion and came to listen to our Tao Talk, as they've been known to be called. Um, specifically, what we'll be discussing is the Montau, which is a era of war for the different Tau casts, the proto Tau within their homeworld, as well as the transition into the First Sphere expansion and the major events that happened during that. I hope you all enjoy listening, and Kovash Tava. Uh, cool. So last week we. We basically covered, uh, I thought, what would be a very uh, a kind of a rudimentary breakdown of early Tau, the relationship between the Adeptus Mechanicus and uh, and and the kind of proto caste Tau that were that were there. We discussed the potential for uh, since since the Tau are uh, presumably evolved from undulates and bovine creatures, uh, herd herd creatures, that they uh, they could have had a some kind of common ancestor uh, that that common as- ancestor could have been the ethereals um uh i forget who uh i think it might have been a uh, boss man or cosmonaut um who who mentioned that the uh the raised bone that ethereals have could be some kind of throwback to uh kind of a dominant version of of the tau races uh, it was an extremely interesting conversation, but what I realized um, as I was going over the over 90 minutes that we did is that I completely forgot to double back on the Manta, which really uh, represents the end of the pre-cast period uh, and ushers in unification that leads to the first, second, third spheres of expansion and so on. Um, and so what we'll do today is, is that we will go over, we'll go over what we know about the Manta. Uh, we'll go into a handful of hypotheticals, but what I would really love to do is get into the first sphere because, um, a lot of people think that there isn't a lot of data on the first sphere. And over the last week, uh, Redricks and myself, uh, have been doing some, doing some research together and found that there are there's there's a, there's much more information um, than previously thought. So, uh, without much more preamble, why don't we why don't we jump in? Okay. So, it's around millennium thirty five uh, to set the stage a little bit for what's going on in the galaxy. We've got the age of apostasy. And the Age of Apostasy is a period of time where the ecclesiarchy of the Imperium of Mankind really uh, firms up its control of the general uh, imperial culture. Uh, there is a, a, a civil war. Uh, the, the different factions of what we consider uh, the imperial faith are fighting each other. Uh, the space marines are kind of taking a back, uh, a, a, like a backseat uh, view on all of it. They're not getting involved in the internal politics. Uh, they're coming off of the War of the Beast, where this giant orc invasion uh, kind of topples uh, a lot of the Imperial hegemony. And um, it's a bad time for the Imperium. Uh, 
the as we spoke about last time, uh, the exploratory fleet known as Lands Vision has uh, attempted to uh, re uh, recontact the Tau. What we'll know later is the Tau uh, Stellar Cloud, and and it is lost in the warp. Um, to give you also just a little bit more data, this would be around the time where uh, the House Van Sar, for example, uh, crash lands on Necromunda. Uh, so that's that's what's going on in the galaxy. There are also very violent warp storms that are cropping up all over the place. Uh, there is no indication that this is uh, deliberate. That this is a, a, a you know a na- as as much as the warp can be a natural phenomenon or an unnatural phenomenon. Uh, the but the galaxy is is in a tumultuous uh, period. On Tau, that is no different. Where we have uh, the those proto Tau that we were to the precast Tau um, are starting to settle into their individual biomes. We have in the fertile river valleys uh, the proto water cast that begin to populate the stream systems and tributaries and connect these these cities. Uh, these cities have uh, large populations which only continue to grow. These are the proto-Earthcast. Their level of technology also uh, expands exponentially. The pl- uh, original Plains Warriors, um, they they uh, they also start kind of coming into their own. They are migratory in nature and typically raid these cities uh, for resources. While the proto-Aircast has started uh, interacting with the rest of the, uh, the the rest of the Tau uh, planetary culture in that they 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 act as messengers now we're not sure if at this time the aircast still has these kind of membranous wings uh, I've, I've been I've been I've, ver- I've read various accounts and and had various conversations where they could be considered uh, like a flying squirrel so so kind of gliders and and they use the thermals in order to Move about, but uh, but what we do know is is that they are they they act as messengers for 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 these early civilizations. This period of time goes on for about a thousand years, by human year human years that is uh, between millennium thirty five and thirty six. The divergent cultures become m- uh, more focused in in that there is apparently a resource shortfall. Now we talked about it a little bit. Uh, last week, with the help of Biotic, who uh, who mentioned that when you have a single contiguous landmass, which which Tau does have, there is nothing that can uh, divide the different the different uh, societies, and so a plague in one place is going to be is going to very quickly spread uh, to other uh, other communities, and that is what happens, and this coincides with a period of famine. Um, now we know that Tau is an arid, uh, an arid world. So theoretically, farming might be a little bit more difficult. Uh, coupled with the fact that it does have these super predators, which we talked about last week as well, um, so, uh, the, these fortresses become kind of, if anything, kind of like food banks, which then the they rely on heavily. But then the the uh, the plains warriors then go and raid. This comes to a head where. Uh, cities begin to fall. Uh, the uh, the Plains Warriors lay direct sieges to the largest of them. And in 791 Millennium 36, we have the Siege of Phaeton. And Phaeton uh, is considered the largest of these fortresses, uh, this for- these fortress cities. 
and the siege goes on for longer than a year where we were we regard it as five seasons where the largest and strongest of the savannah dwelling tau are uh, rally around this prolonged state of constant warfare uh Various codexes mention that this is this is really where the Tau race comes to a head. It has uh, something like an extinction-level event, uh, with no way for these different uh, civilizations to kind of take breaks from each other, uh, very much like with human society. It only continues to escalate. And Phaeton represents, I think, I think at least symbolically, that had this war continued going, the, the species would have uh, experienced extinction. Um, th- this gets brings, br- brought up in some Black Library books where the, the modern-day Tau uh, view the, this period as the Mont-A, or Age of Terror-A, for, uh, which is the Taustian word for age or time period, and Mont, which uh, could mean battle, uh, uh, but it has negative connotations to the point where, in, in this regard, it's regarded as terror. This... Is a this is a psychologically traumatic event that that the Tau still hold to today, as is mentioned in the book Kill Team. Uh, the Tau do not s- still regard each other as as that that the Montauk could happen that without without unification the Tau would turn against each other and start killing each other once again. Um, there is no comparison for. Uh, for humanity in the Imperium, I guess the closest that you would get would be the Horus Heresy. But even the Horus Heresy was not a war of extinction. It was a war of rebellion. Horus imagined himself replacing the Emperor. He didn't imagine himself exterminating uh, mankind, certainly not Terra. So so humanity does not have this kind of uh, traumatic event. And modern-day Tau do, uh, w- who are aware of human history, uh, basically say... Uh, that 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 is the fundamental difference between the human psychology and the Tao psychology. That the Tao know and have experienced what extinction could be like. Now, I'm extrapolating this, but the because there is no canonical reference of of Tao talking to Eldar in the same way. But I would say that the Manta is very similar to the birth of Slanesh in terms of the amount of cultural and psychological trauma that gets inflicted on this species. And the Eldar, all of them, carry with them that trauma. It's, it's, in, it's in every aspect of their waking life. Uh, it is the reason why the Dark Eldar act the way that they do. Um, the sim- a, a similar comparison can be made for the Tau, who would regard the Manta as, as the inevitable uh, if, if they did not work together. And to this day, culturally, the Tau don't seem to directly uh, engage in violence with one another. Uh, certainly, uh, they don't seek to kill one another. Now, there is one known exception, but again, in a in a race of uh, of billions of, of of individuals stretched across across hundreds of light years, it is worthy to note that they seem to uh, avoid violence against each other at all costs um, uh, because of this trauma. Now, a crisis is averted, and at the siege of Phaeton, the Ethereals. Uh, make themselves aware on on at least the historical public stage. We don't know if they uh, if, if they uh, were were influencing anything previous, but historically they they arrive, they talk everybody down. Uh, one member of the uh, ethereal cast goes to the the leadership council of the uh, the Savannah Warriors, 
uh, and another uh, walks into Feotan. And and neither of them are, neither of them need to fight their way. They just they just walk right in. So so in the aftermath of Feotan, the there are myths and there are stories of ethereals spreading the word of the greater good across the planet. Uh, more and more of these individuals are seen uh, and interacted with. Uh, my hypothetical is that most likely not. Uh, this this could be related a lot to uh, if we're if we're thinking about human history. This this is very similar to the Tokugawa era in Japan uh, or the Warring States period in China, uh, also known as the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Uh, the the uh, the ethereals ex- instead of the ethereals engaging though in further warfare they seem to be able to diplomatically talk everybody down and when they do uh they institute several things which will change uh the tau forever uh and the most important of those is the caste system the five unique cultures that are on the planet the ethereals uh, the savannah dwelling tau the river uh navigating tau the city dwelling tau and the mountainous uh, proto aircast tau uh, all of them are made uh, into distinct casts and and the and first and foremost their their rules are I might have actually forgotten the ethereals excuse me they count too but no, you, none of them are allowed oh did I mention them? okay yeah power of editing I'll just fix myself later um, but uh, but basically what this what this allows for is this allows for a period where all five of these cultures become almost distinct subspecies where they're not allowed to breed breed with one another. We don't exactly know why. It's part of the mystery of the ethereals, but uh, but what I can say is that as a result of the caste system, you have kind of uh, an explosion or a renaissance of technological innovation and 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 expansion. The the planet within. Uh, within less than fifteen hundred years, is 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 t- we'll say quote unquote tamed. Uh, human uh, uh, humanity doesn't has has not yet tamed Earth or Terra. So so this is a really really big event, and and a space age begins. And in five thirty three uh, millennium thirty seven, Luval, the largest of uh, Tau's Several. It's Tau. It, they never actually say it. it. It's suspected that they have three moons, but Luval is colonized, and it represents the first off-world holding. Now, at around this time, the Firecast is still, as I stated last week, the Firecast is still engaged in uh, hunting down the rest of the predators on Tau. Um, which, I, I, as we as we talked about a little bit, these. Uh, these 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 predators must have been pretty intense. If if a space age uh, species still needs to engage with them and control them, uh, so it's 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 kind of interesting. Um, but uh, on Luval, a a a warp drive, a, a, a the the remains of a inter uh, an interstellar craft are discovered, and Earthcast uh, engineers and and as well as coupled with water cast scientists, because there is crossover between those two casts, uh, they are able to backward engineer the warp drive that is on that craft uh, and start to be able to expand exponentially further uh, into the nearby uh, solar systems. Now, around this time, uh, and I'll just touch on it very quickly, 
around this time, the, the Nikasar are the first contact race. Uh, there is a brief conflict. Uh, it's noted it there. It's noted in the description in the Battlefleet Gothic book for the Tau that it was a misunderstanding, which which I think is kind of interesting. But they don't say mo- much more than that. And then and the Nikasar are subsumed. At least the local Nikasar are subsumed into uh, the Tau culture. Uh, now, just to mention with the Nikasar, as well as things like the Crute, Torellians, other aliens that the the Tau will will encounter. This does not represent all of the Nikasar, uh, as the Nikasar have uh, been see, uh, seen as far out as the Ghoul Stars. So, so it's not it, it, the the Nikasar are a galaxy-spanning population. It's just the ones that in the Eastern Fringe who uh, who are subsumed and become the uh, become a member race and allies to the Tau. Uh, through a combination of working together with this new race, the Tau develop uh, the Ethereals. Uh, start to really develop this notion of a greater good. Uh, unification has already happened for the Tau race, but the greater good itself uh, codifies into almost like a, a state philosophy, where they believe uh, very quickly that since there must be further life out in the universe, that all will have a place in the notion of the greater good. And it, it's a period of, of incredible uh, uh, positive thinking. Uh, and there are there are uh, noteworthy quotes where where the Tao really believe that this is kind of their their manifest destiny to bring to, uh, to bring order and reason and enlightenment to the to the rest of the races of uh, of, of well, I, let's ostensibly say the universe. Uh, the uh, other uh, further star systems are discovered, but it's only when Taun is uh, is discovered. Uh, which is about a three-month uh, warp travel. Uh, this is this is using the Tau warp travel, which is uh, substantially uh, slower by it, it's it's considered one third the speed of Imperial norms. Uh, so it's about three months away from from Tau itself, and Tau is is regarded as 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 going to be the first major colonial effort on behalf of this this new uh, this new. Uh, nation state or empire and as they begin to send slow ships because the Tau need uh, way stations in order to use their warp drives uh, this multi-generational uh, effort uh, finally gets uh, to the town system and begins to begins to start sending these giant colony ships and it's around this time that the orc pirate race um uh, under the warlord uh, uh, Scar uh, Scarbad, uh, I, I will. Scar uh, I can. Uh, excuse me. I, I always have difficulty with uh, orc names, but he um, he engages almost immediately uh, in in conflict with with the Tau. Uh, the Tau are kind of perplexed, but ready to go. They've they've upgraded their ships since the since the conflict with the Nikasar, and. It will it will be centuries until the Tau finally give up on trying to bring the orcs into the empire. But as town is established in seven five six millennium thirty seven, this really uh, this this begins the first sphere expansion, um, also known as the Great Expansion. Um, but this is this is this is the first period in which after the Monta. And after the years of unification, this represents the first concerted effort that the Tau realized that as as an empire and as a nation, 
that they will uh, that they are going to give uh, every aspect of their society uh, resources, efforts to aggressive colonization um, throughout uh, this this stellar cluster that they're in. So that's the that's the first. Uh, that's, that, that, uh, let's let's take a let's take a quick pause here because we'll we'll kick off on the on the first sphere now. But um, I see that we have a hand raised. Uh, Germanosaurus, I've 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 worked on saying your name. Uh, how's it going? Why don't Why don't you go first? Is he there? Yeah, he just needs to. Maybe there he goes. No, no, he's there. Hello. Thank hey. you. Good evening. Uh, you talked good about. Good morning. Yeah, for me it's uh, almost evening. Mm-hmm. Um. You said that there are like tall pirates, and this is like a tall pirate race. So, could there could there be more like deviant tall races that were just like no, we're not we going with your system that we aren't aware of? We didn't. We said um, orc okay. pirates. I think he misheard. That. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Germanus. Sorry. Uh, what I I said uh, orc pirates, not not tall pirates. Oh, um, however, however, just 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 to quickly address that, uh, there are Tau mercenaries. Um, something that is uh, is 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 kind of very very old and originally uh, established lore in the uh, third edition codex is that for a time of a period of a, I, I think I believe just a little bit under a hundred years uh, after the the end of the second sphere, uh, the second sphere expansion. Uh, in in uh, right after the Damocles Gulf Crusade, there are Tau that are seen beyond Tau space, uh, serving as mercenaries and working with everybody from Chaos Pirates to uh, or Chaos Aligned Pirates to uh, to to offering their services to Imperial governors that are under attack by Tyranid Splinter Fleets. So uh, to answer your question, there are. There are as, uh, elements of Tau uh, culture that do let's let's call it uh, break off uh, from the main uh, fr- from the main society. Uh, however, uh, w- this is also expanded upon in the Fantasy Flight games uh, role playing game. Uh, there, uh, Tau explorers are are fairly common, and uh, and the reach of Tau cultures is much greater than I think people realize. Uh, for example. Uh, Necromunda uh, has uh, has 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 some kind of cold. Tra- the cold trade is the is the illegal black market trade between the Imperium and alien races. And Necrom- it's been it's been noted that on on Necromunda there have been Tau uh, uh, technologies and weapons that have been confiscated uh, the by the Inquisition. Is the spider Yeldis, which it's. The Yeldi literally means winged one in the Tausia, and it's spelled pretty much the same as it is in Tausia. Yeah. So it's like part of that cold trade. Yeah, and then, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's never directly said, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, the, so, so, Germanosaurus, there there are examples of Tau that aren't working directly with the main part of society. They do break off. There are Tau exploration missions. Uh, there are, ex- uh, there, there are expeditions that they have. Uh, and, um, yeah. And, and, and as well as mercenaries. 
I've got Black Comet asking a question. Uh, is it, uh, it, it? Does that? Did that kind of answer your question, Germanosaurus? Yes, it did. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, no worries. Alrighty, Black Comet. If you just want to come on up to the stage. Black Comet, you there? Oh, there okay. you go. Yeah, I'm here. So, my question is related to the whole, like, so you're saying there's possibly Tau agents within the Imperium? So, so, couldn't, so, does that mean the, the, the Tau sort of kind of, like, in the deeper Imperium kind of do their own kind of, so like about to have fun insurgencies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would. I would love to. Uh, we can. We can have a discussion at the end of this, uh, especially especially as we talk about the second and third sphere expansions. Uh, I just want to make sure that the uh, that the this Tau talk is focused on the first sphere because currently we uh, the Tau have not encountered the Imperium yet, at least uh, at least not officially. Uh, but yes, to, to to answer your question, absolutely. The Tau have in, uh, insurgencies, uh, agents. Uh, they, they cause rebellions. They cause uh, they, they 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 seek out trade agreements uh, all the time, and have and have agents uh, very very much deep, deeply uh, set inside of other other nations. Um, but we can talk about. Would it be all right if we we held that off until the end of the the Tau talk? Yes, yes, yes. Of course. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you for the question, though. Um, okay, so if that's if that's it, uh, I don't see any more questions. Um, let's let's move into the first sphere. So the first sphere uh, is is really the Tau starting to come into themselves as a power. Uh, we'll we'll see technological innovations like the creation of the first battle suits. Uh, we will uh, see the the prototype and 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 refinement of the pulse rifle. Uh, a lot of different uh, a lot of different races will be encountered and peacefully uh, or aggressively subsumed into the into the greater uh, into the greater empire. Uh, the the evolution of the Tau mindset is also really important to keep in mind. In that they they they. The ethereal cast, as well as the Tau themselves, uh, especially the fire cast, really, uh, really starts to adhere to what we'll call uh, Tau traditionalism, and that is, uh, and that is the Tau uh, individual Tau have their place inside of the caste system. Uh, it reinforces their, especially with the defeat uh, of the orc pirates around town. Uh, and the further expansion of the conflict against the orcs, uh, the 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 nation itself begins to 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 double down on on the decisions that it makes or that that it that it's already made, and and they really uh, they they really begin to uh, start to ag aggressively pursue how to make uh, their mandates a reality. I've often I've often said that the the different spheres of expansion have kind of a cast that's that's dedicated to them. So uh, so for example, uh, just just as uh, just as individual mandates and and missions that are that are that are uh, declared by the ethereals and then enacted by uh, the various councils that run Tau society, uh, each each mission and mandate has a cast that's in charge. 
uh, or or that's placed in overall uh, control because it 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 attaches to what their specialists uh, or their specialism is. So, for example, um, if you wanted to create uh, a rail rifle, uh, you would place the Earthcast in charge in overall charge of that project. If you wanted to. Uh, send a diplomatic mission to an alien race. You would put you would put the water cast in overall charge. Uh, this this becomes uh, much more prevalent throughout the the nation's uh, operation. Um, but if we were to expand outward into the notion of who who really owns the first sphere expansion, and it's really the air cast. The air cast uh, develops uh, these giant orbital arcology cities. Uh, they they are responsible for getting the colonists to these various worlds, um, and we can see that uh, in 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 this process the aircast comes into itself. Talon, for example, uh, st- to this day has the largest uh, orbital docks and orbital uh, rings around it, uh, and has the largest sept fleet. Um, and and to go into a little bit just what a sept is. A sept is a collection of planets and tributary worlds that all uh, kind of take direction from a central and uh, and dominant culture of a pl- of of a single world. So, so for example, um, a lot of people are always talking about wanting to create their own septs. I always caution a little bit to that because there are dozens and dozens of planets that don't show up on the Tau map, uh, and and it's it's one of the uh, one of my objectives to one day have a, a comprehensive uh, uh, map of, of the Tau Empire. But, but places like Tau itself have at least six star systems, uh, individual star systems, which are then orbited by their own planets that, that take their cultural cue from Tau itself. Uh, Town is, is, is no different. It, it has several... Uh, several worlds and several uh, several star systems that that are in various stages of development, but they all they all lean on town to di- kind of dictate their 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 mandates, uh, what they should be focusing on. Let's say shipbuilding or raising troops. Oh, hello! I might have lost you for a sec. Can you hear me, Redricks? Are you there? Yeah, um, I was hmm. just looking. I know people oh, okay. like to use the the psychic awakening for the greater good. How you can make your own sept rules as a basis mm-hmm, for custom mm-hmm. sets, but with the way it's worded, uh, let me get the exact wording. It doesn't say you're actually creating your own sept. Um, it just says um, it's the name of your chosen sept. So you're choosing a sept and then assigning new rules to it, basically. So even even right. in the, it's more- the tabletop, mm-hmm. there's no creating your own sept. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit like um, it's a little bit like uh, almost like a philosophy of war, and uh, and 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 instead of and instead of thinking of an entire sept, I, I almost I, I would almost recommend people to think of it as uh, creating their own colony or creating or creating their own philosophy of war. This, especially especially a commander's philosophy of war. But um, but this sept 
maybe maybe the easiest way of thinking of it is as city states, right? Um, these these individual city states uh, start becoming uh, very very strong cultural centers, but because the because the Tao don't possess faster than light communication, um, and and for the record, faster than light communication is 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 paramount for an interstellar uh, uh, civilization. Humanity uses astropaths, for example, uh, to communicate long distances via the warp and and via a mutation in in their species uh the but but if you look at uh if you look at most of the species in the in in the galaxy the dominant forces is uh at least uh they do require a means of of ftl uh communication in order to coordinate in order to navigate in order to plan um the tau don't have that and so when we think of when we think of these sept centers what it is 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 a central, a central, uh, almost like a keystone, that then communicates outward via via an an extremely important network of messenger ships. Uh, now, messenger ships are are single crewed. Uh, they're they're described as escorts, so so pretty big in real world terms. Uh, we don't have exact sizes, but but there's a single uh, Tau aircast pilot which which uses a messenger ship. To enter the warp, and then very much like uh, in America, we had something called the Pony Express. Uh, but but effectively, what it is is uh, a messenger ship uh, leaves a planetary area, uh, jumps ju- uh, or skips through the warp, arrives at another area, broadcasts message and data packets, which then get picked up by way stations and other messenger ships, which then jump and go further outward, uh, a- and so on and so forth. Uh, a kind of like a game game of telephone. Um, the sept system allows uh, for these these uh, the the uh, colony efforts, uh, colonial efforts, uh, to to be able to solidify an area and then move on. Uh, this this creates an enormous amount of mandatory trust. The Tao uh, the Tao might go generations without without coming into contact with uh, their home sept or 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 even other. Tau colonists, and so so what happens as 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 they push outward, the belief and the dedication to the greater good becomes all the more uh, important. So so what does this mean? This means that the caste system solidifies. Uh, it means that the 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 Tau have to believe uh, in their philosophy uh, and. And and they have to have an enormous amount of. I'm going to use the word faith, uh, despite the fact that the Tao seem to be generally atheistic. Uh, they they have they they believe that everybody in their society is doing uh, is doing the best that they can, no matter where they are. So even though the Tao are might be cut off from one another, uh, they know that other Tao are are doing their best wherever they are. And this this kind of psychology uh, again really really reinforces uh, who the Tao are as a faction, and and has them and, and and really puts them in their own deviation from the rest of the 40k universe, where where humanity uh, went through a similar colonial period uh, even before the Imperium. Uh, uh, humanity spreads out, but then kind of just forget. I mean, through a variety of different. Uh, catastrophes—they kind of forget where those colonies even are. Uh, 
they and and later when the emperor uh, comes comes to power, he actually goes to war against these other colonies, uh, which have now become nation states uh, unto themselves. The Tao don't do that. They send out these seed ships, these these very extensive colonial fleets, and yes, they forget them because there's you know there's there's nothing that can be you know there's no way to contact them. But when they when when they catch up to them later, they all integrate back seamlessly. Uh, into this greater uh, nation state, so it's like seeing. A so it's it's really you were oh, friends with. Sorry, it's like seeing a cousin you were friends with, uh, like when you were young, and then like twenty years later, being like, "Hey," basically. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's it's very much like that. And uh, meanwhile, uh, the wars against the orcs continue. Um, it's described in the Battle of the Gothic magazine that uh, the early victories of the Tau kind of shrink a little uh, into, uh, as they begin to lose colonies uh, uh, and the and the air cast becomes very much a secondary uh, military branch as well because uh, they are at the forefront of these conflicts with the orcs uh, the the orcs do sometimes uh, land on on these uh, on these colonies and seps but we don't know we don't know too much about that and it Based on the way that the orc uh, biology uh, is is set up, uh, an orc uh, in, so, so orcs are very much like plants, uh, and they uh, they're, they're sentient fungus basically. When they arrive uh, in a planetary uh, eco, uh, a biome or ecosystem, uh, the less orcs there are, the more spores their bodies generate. And now these spores can be created uh, even uh, even in the event that the the orc uh, corpse. Uh, is left alone, so that's that's why when if orcs invade your planet, you actually you literally have to burn them out. Uh, and these spores are extremely tenacious, uh, and they'll get they'll find a place that's damp uh, and dark, and an and an orc uh, will of or, or some kind of orcoid creature, which includes Gretchen or or, or squigs, uh, will grow from these uh, from these spores. So when orcs uh, invade a planet, you're kind of you're you're kind of screwed um, in that they will always uh, they'll, they'll kind of always be there. Since since the Tau don't seem to really have this problem in uh, in modern times, uh, it would be my uh, supposition that the uh, that the orcs were predominantly a spaceborne enemy, and they didn't and they didn't commit to very many planetary invasions at least until. Uh, until the intervening years between the second and third sphere, which we uh, will dedicate another episode to. So, so as the th- this this period of expansion lasts for about a thousand years, um, during which time, uh, as, as stated before, the Tau recognize that the orcs will never will never embrace the the greater good. Um, what's interesting about this, I find, is that the water cast views this as their single greatest failure as a as a cast, um, which which I, I think is is something worth noting that that the, the way that the water cast describes this is that they state that had they been able to work out the the diplomacy process with the orcs, they would have been able to basically infuse. The empire with all of the with all of the strength of this species, um, 
and the orcs are regarded as as a technologically uh, curious uh, species to the Tau. Um, the Tau uh, origin, uh, and, and and this is just a quick sidebar. Uh, the Tau uh, technology uh, tree really really relies on uh, gravitic uh, manipulation. So so they're really good at at anti grav. They're really they, they cre- their shields are are kind of gravity bubbles around their 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 uh, their ships, uh, or or also described as wings. Um, that the, that the front of the of the Tau ship creates this gravitic. Uh, wing around it, and and it's 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 one of the most powerful field systems in 40k um, in terms of uh, defensive uh, uh, defensive properties. But the Tau also use this gravitic wing to enter and skip off of the warp. So so their technology tree uh, is is there. Um, they also use railguns for a lot of things, and uh, and even the pulse rifle itself uh, creates a, a kind of. Uh, 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 excuse me, a, a field, uh, almost like a magnetic containment field around the the plasma pulse, um, and, uh, and it's an extremely powerful weapon, uh, as as is proven later when when they when they fight against the Imperium. But when they encounter the orcs, the orcs uh, teach them a lot about how to make their uh, the the aircast ships better, more defensive. Uh, they adopt uh, tractor beam technology from the orcs. So, so when the water cast fails at bringing them into the empire, where they have been successful everywhere else uh, up to this point, uh, it really it kind of it weak. I, I wouldn't say it weakens the resolve of the water cast, but it is it is the first blemish on that cast, uh, and and it's something that it's something that I find really interesting, especially when later on we will see orc mercenaries actually working with uh with kind of uh, breakaway elements uh of of the uh of the tau which we can talk about when we get to the second sphere so we're about halfway through the first sphere i'm going to mention a couple dates that i think would be important to anybody wanting to understand uh the first sphere on a on a on a, on a kind of like a three-dimensional level uh in 606 uh up to 792 in millennium 38 the uh this is where the the water cast really admits that they will not be able to uh get the orcs to come over and it's uh it's called the campaign of cleansing uh where we don't know too much about it other than the fact that on the planet's core boss and vaslam prime uh the uh, i guess several delegates of the water cast are massacred by the orcs and and it's there that they are are deemed incompatible, and this is the first time that a race is considered incompatible. Uh, what what follows there is a mat, uh, kind of a the first major full scale war. Several sects have been uh, created at this point, including Borkan, uh, Taun, as stated before. Tau itself is now a very strong central sept world, uh, and uh, and toward the end of the campaign of cleansing. The uh, the Dalith sept is founded. Now, what's important about this is that Dalith is represents the very uh, northernmost edges of the of the stellar cloud that the Tau uh, reside in, and and I find it interesting that they would that they would kind of strike out that far from the from the central and you, you would think that they would want to strengthen the the core of the stellar cloud. Uh, but instead, the Tau kind of 
strike out as far as they can until they reach the natural borders of the cluster, which is um, the Damocles Gulf, which is this vast, empty region uh, that divides the greater uh, Tau space from, from the Imperium proper, uh, while to the east you have the Pertest Rift Zone. Um, and now in 40k, Rift means typically uh, has some kind of association with uh, with warp, uh, or, or perhaps this is where uh, where the realities kind of touch each other and there's a lot of crossover. And the Pertus Rift zone is considered haunted by, uh, by, by, human, uh, by human explorers. Uh, this is also later where the Crute will be discovered. But, um, but Dalith is right in the center of both of those regions and is the closest to uh, the... It, it, it's, it's in almost like a pounce where where the transition from uh, the Tau Stellar Cluster to the Imperium is only about three months uh, worth of, of human uh, warp travel. So times that by three, about nine months for, for the Tau to be able to get into the, uh, the greater galaxy. So, um, so the next thing we'll talk about is 844 Millennium 38. This is the war at the place of Union where the Tau encounter the Crute for the first time. But I'm going to just take a quick, uh, quick break and just see if uh, I, ha I see a hand is raised. So, uh, Biotic, if you'd like to come to the stage. Uh, can you hear me, guys? Mm -hmm. Yes. Hey, how's it going, Biotic? Mm, good, good. Uh, working on my Riptide. Um, <laughs> I was just uh, wanting to mention about faster than light travel because you said that earlier. Uh, not faster than light, sorry, communication. There was, uh, I read a book called The Bobbyverse. I don't know if you guys read it, but I suggest you do. It's one of the best sci-fis that's come out in like recent years. And mm -hmm. um, um, the idea was that you clone a, a, a man, you put him in a quantum computer, and then you go Van, Neum Van Neumann probe. And the uh, the goal is galaxy exploration and uh the thing is that without faster than light communications uh they basically had to rely on like uh, a spaceship in a spaceship in a spaceship in a spaceship and then calculate distance and then one spaceship would launch the other spaceship and so on and so forth and it took months and by that time basically the info was um uh, you know useless so yeah no that's that's, the, that's true. The shape of the book and the shape of the story actually uh, m um, becomes much more interesting when they have faster than light communications. And it's like the, the gulf between faster than light communication and not having faster than light communication ultimately changes the pace of the book, which is very interesting since you mentioned oh, it. No, that is, but that, that's super interesting. Maybe, maybe post in text voice the uh, the name of the book, and we can check it out. Sure, and uh, it actually changes everything about how they thought uh, uh, space should work when they discover faster than light communication. Actually, it it, uh, it basically changed the fundamentals of the technology that they were using until then. And it's mm -hmm. extremely interesting to see how such a simple technology like communications can alter everything. Right, right. 
I, I will say that the Tau eventually come up with, at least theoretically, the Tau come up with a, a, a means of being able to communicate faster than light. It's mentioned in the book, uh, The Last of Kira's Line, um, but right at the end. I don't... I, yeah, I don't. But that's that's uh, that's. I think that that's just at the dawn of the third sphere expansion. Um, but but I, I'm I'm not. It's it's only mentioned once and only in that book. I would say that it's most likely extremely expensive, or at least technologically difficult for the Tau to be able to come up with something uh, that allows for instantaneous communication. But 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 you also... do. But it is it. Oh, sorry. I was yeah. just gonna say it might also involve some of the psycho auxiliaries they have, like Nagasar, maybe the Nagi. Right, right. I, you know, just on on a side note, when it comes to communication uh, between psycho races, I'm actually not sure that psychers, even psychic uh, attuned species, can actually communicate with each other. Uh, uh, just as as like part of their abilities. If you look at navigators, for example, I don't think that uh, the navigator uh, mutation gene, um, which is a type of psyker variant that humanity uses in order to navigate the warp, uh, th- I don't believe that they communicate via, via uh, psychic communication. I think that they can, they, they have like, there's like resonances. Um, for example, the, the largest resonance is the emperor himself in the form of how he directs the Astronomicon. But I don't believe that navigators can uh, can actively uh, communicate over long long distances. It it really does seem that it's that it's the astropaths alone that are able to uh, you know let's call it make a make a warp phone call. From what I've, I've mm-hmm. from what I've read in the book so far, uh, basically the navigator gene and the astropath gene are sort of like on the same branch, but they're like two different specialization so like if you have a car one is off-road one is speed they're kind of the mm-hmm. same they're still a car right but just... one is specialized in one thing and the other one is specialized in another thing altogether right right um... but they're on the same tree of interactions with the warp sort of like inter more subtle interactions not like you have the psyker not like you have a psyker right. who's like more brutal in the form that she channels lightning or stuff like that Right, right. Yeah, I think I think that I think that when it comes to psychic abilities in 40k in general, I don't believe that communication is necessarily something that they all share with one another. There's no indication, for example, that the Nikasar uh, communicate over long distances with each other, and that they go they go kind of blind into the void. Uh, similar, sim- I, I would imagine that when they when they talk about the Nagi, they talk about Nagi colonies. And these colonies uh, communicate with one another, communicate w- to, with one another, as well as their, uh, as well as their host uh, species, whatever, whatever it ends up being. And that must be some kind of uh, psychic communication. But I almost, I almost wonder if it's based on touch, be- because uh, a nagi housing unit is actually a, a, a physical thing that somebody wears, and there's a nagi inside of it. So perhaps there's a proximity factor. I'm not sure. Uh, but Radrix, you're not wrong. I, I think that a lot of a lot of fan theories say that the Tau must have must have figured out faster than light communication 
uh, better than the the Pony Express system that they have with their messenger ships. Um, essentially, uh, so we need more info, and they need to expand upon yeah. it instead of just an offhand exactly. at the end of a book. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And also, a good idea would be that there. Uh, the thing is that you can have faster than light communications without using the warp, like the Necrons have, for example. Although sure. that's a different, that's a different kind of. Uh, technology altogether because it ties into how they actually function as a spacefaring civilization in terms of right. in terms of they actually warp space they fold space so basically communications would be instantaneous because you fold space from point a to point b right right and, and of course i mean that's another thing. Uh, I have uh, boss. Uh, thank you, thank you, Biotic. I'm going to move you to the audience, uh, Bossman. If you would like to come up, I'm just going to invite you to speak. All right. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Uh, so you talked a little bit earlier about how the Tau in the first sphere kind of just went out into the void, as you know, just throwing their intergalactic net as wide as physically possible, and you were kind of wondering why they did that instead of. Uh, securing their uh, securing their own position. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it very much comes down to something we talked about earlier with the uh, with the shard of the Nightbringer and species-wide mm. trauma. So a lot of species in 40k got their first experience with uh, FTL travel through the warp. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, not a great way to be introduced to FTL, given all of the inherent dangers involved. And as a result, most of these species, humanity mostly at least, <clears throat> they preferred to move slowly, only jump when they were sure that things weren't going to go horribly wrong, etc., etc. Whereas the Tau have managed to figure out their uh, gravitic drives that just let them not necessarily quickly but reliably make it to their destination and as a result they kind of could cast their net as far as they could that's a really interesting note bossman yeah no i i I hadn't thought of that but you're right uh since the tau don't suffer from perils of the warp um they yeah they would they would they would have full confidence that once they they picked a a target planet or a target solar system, they they would they, they would have all ultimate confidence that they would actually get there. That's really interesting. I hadn't I hadn't considered that. Um, theoretically, uh, at the same time, uh, because we know that the Tau studied cryogenics, these populations uh, of uh, of colonists would likely be uh, asleep or or in suspended animation during this time, which which also which kind of lends to your 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 hypothesis uh that you don't even you don't even have like a custodian keeping keeping track of what's going on on the ship while while you're asleep there 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 is no mention of uh of the tau uh staying awake while others sleep um theoretically that's possible i guess but uh you would have again that lends to the idea that they would be completely confident that we're going to be traveling for let's say nine months we're all going to go to sleep we're going to we're going to skip through the warp when we come out, we'll all wake up. That's that's really interesting, boss man. Perhaps that does uh, explain why the the edges of the cluster are colonized uh, as much as uh, you know a handful of worlds and 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 then later on seps. 
uh, are 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 colonized in, uh, near the core. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. are, are you good, boss man? Or did you have anything else you'd like to say? No, that was that was kind of just it. Cool, cool. I'll uh, I'll move you back to the audience, um, and we will let's let's talk a little bit about the crew. So, okay, everybody should know or everybody does know that the crew are kind of a a 40k favorite and and they are they are just we'll dedicate well <laughs> i feel like we say this every time but we'll dedicate an entire episode to the crew yeah, they and their unique episode. biology yeah seriously they have and plus they just got expanded on massively in the new uh Lieber xenologist book uh where we have uh where we have myths and and origin stories now of where the crew come from but for the purposes of the first sphere, they they're encountered uh, kind of on a on a rudimentary exploration uh, mission by one uh, poor O Dalith Kivrai. So Kivrai is is a member of uh, the Dalithian sept, and he is in charge of a a uh, an explore uh, an exploration effort into the Pertus Rift itself. He is, uh, he's a member of the water cast and there, this is a, this is one of my, whenever I'm making my own, uh, lore and canonical arguments, this, this is an example of no ethereal is mentioned in this expedition, uh, which, which just lends to the point that ethereals, especially at this point in the first sphere are not required to be shepherding, uh, Tau Tau efforts. The the Tau don't need ethereals in order to function. Um, at least at least at least beyond, let's say, war, where we know that the the fire cast, which is which is which is much more heavy handed uh, than probably closer closer related to the the human way of waging war. Uh, the fire warriors need to be reined in. So. So fire warriors, when they're unleashed into a war zone, they they will sometimes commit you know what we would call in modern times war crimes, uh, you know, continuing to shoot at people after they've uh, after they've given up, or uh, or or perhaps using uh, an enormous amount of force when when uh, uh, only a little is needed. It seems that that is where the ethereals have to have to really be present and make sure that those things don't happen. But when it comes to exploration. There are actually no there there are no uh, up until the third sphere there there are no instances of the ethereals needing to uh, be present during these these initiatives so so Kivrai enters into uh, in into the Pertus Rift and the Pertus Rift at this point has been the the place of a massive war between the orcs conceivably the same you know part of the same family or the same uh, the the same kingdom of orcs that has that has been kind of encountered by the town and the rest of the the stellar cluster the the orcs are pu- are, are are waging a punishing war against the crude uh, the crude of millennium thirty eight are a technologically advanced civilization they have uh, warp travel uh, fairly advanced warp travel by by the way um, they have city ships. Very much like the, uh, very much like the uh, what what would be called um, city ships for humanity. The, these are multi-kilometer long vessels, perhaps eight or nine uh, kilometers long, so, uh, which is which is around the length of a battleship. Uh, they're called uh, uh, war spheres, 
And these these craft, despite their enormous size, uh, are able to actually make Planetfall land and, and become a base of, of colonization for the crude. Uh, we don't know very much uh, about some of their other capabilities, but we also know that they had hives, uh, very much like humanity, um, uh, on, on their homeworld and perhaps on some of their other colonies. But, but this, this civilization, this, this advanced civilization, is in a state of, of, of rapid decline because the orcs, after the initial first contact with the Kroot, and, and the Kroot uh, ate the orcs, thus gaining, a, based on, and, and again, we'll talk about it a little bit more in depth in another episode, but the Kroot effectively take... Uh, uh, opportunity uh, they're basically opportunistic uh, evolutionists where they they take genes that are that are beneficial to them um and and then breed that into their into their into the next generations the the crute have reached the point where they have dozens of star systems they uh they are they are uh, it, it is rumored that they are spreading in the eastern fringe but when they encounter the orcs this time they are beaten down, and they are they are losing this war. And the orcs, by the way, the orcs love fighting the crew. In in the orc codex, uh, there there are a couple quotes where the orcs just they think the they think the crew are some of the most fun uh, aliens to uh, to fight against. And and when the Tau encounter uh, uh, a a crew fleet under attack by by the orcs. The because because of the mandate now that 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 orcs will, are are no longer compatible with the greater good, the uh, Kivrai orders that they'll immediately come to the defense of these aliens. Now, without knowing who they are, without without communicating with them, uh, they immediately lend their hand, and this this extended conflict begins, where the Tau of Kivrai's expedition fleet uh, are forced to land on Peck itself. Uh, their ships are 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 basically either chased off in the, into the deeper solar system, um, or or they crash land, and the Tau work with the crew in an extended guerrilla war against the orcs for I believe, and let me just look at my notes. Yes, for for about 12, 12 years. And excuse me, it's not Peck, it's actually a, uh, the world of Krath, which is which is a little bit closer to the Tau Empire. So for twelve years, the Tau. Uh, work with the Kroot in in this intense war against the orcs until reinforcements uh, arrive in the region uh, from Sakia. Uh, the 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 war uh, kind of takes a swing uh, in the in the favor of these new allies, and and gradually the the orcs are pushed out of the region, um, and the and and Kroot society is saved. Um, the leader of the crew at this point in time is uh, a, a, a war leader called Encore Proc, and he formally invites the Tau to Peck, their homeworld, and he he formally swears his race's loyalty uh, to the to the Empire uh, uh, in a place called the Oathstone. Um, this this is a pivotal moment for the crew because at the same time. Uh, Angkor Prak and perhaps the the upper uh, echelons of the of the Krut hierarchy uh, admit that basically their their way their the the way of technology uh, ha- has basically made their race weak perhaps 
uh, and that they 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 have to adopt the old ways. So while they keep things like the War Sphere, which they then use to um, become uh, a pan-galactic uh, alien species, there there are crew seen all over the galaxy. After this point, um, they keep they keep the War Spheres. They keep uh, several smaller uh, s- uh, spacefaring craft, but by and large, the entire Crute society basically becomes uh, voluntarily primitive, and, and 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 goes back to their roots uh, as a as a semi nomadic species. Um, this as this is as a result of the successful war at the place of Union. Um, meanwhile, the Tau, uh, especially the warriors of Delith. Um, and later the warriors of Sakia uh, become kind of ingrained in the notion that the Krut are are excellent allies. And and this is really the first example that we have of an alien species uh, being being proactively uh, co- combatants rather rather than you know they mentioned the Thraxians for example we don't really know any anything about them uh, but uh, the Nikasar aren't a particularly warlike species uh, we don't know anything about the Pactroon. Um, but the Krut themselves, when they join the Empire, uh, first of all, they join in the billions. That they, they, it's quoted as uh, as billions of Krut uh, join the fire cast, and and the Tau are really able to uh, to 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 solve a problem that no matter how far uh, their te- technology expands, they always have a numbers issue. Um, in that in, in that they they're always the minority when fighting against the orcs, for example. When the crew show up, that fixes that problem, uh, at least for the time being. Um, but that really marks the end of the first sphere. And 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 for for people who are keeping track, uh, eight forty four millennium thirty eight is is regarded as a slowdown period uh, for the first sphere. And and there is a, a gap of time between uh, between millennium thirty eight and millennium thirty nine where the second sphere gets going. So remember, it doesn't... One 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 sphere of exma- uh, expansion ends. Uh, that doesn't mean that, it, that another one just immediately starts up again. Uh, there, there are, like, almost cool-down periods. And I would hypothesize it's likely as a result of if... Uh, and this, is, this touches on what Biotic was saying. If you are a race without faster-than-light communication and you rely on uh, a series of... of uh, traversal networks to talk to each other there must be there there must be resource exhaustion and and, and everything from physical resources uh, to actually population that there must be there must be just times where they just they just run out of people to throw out a problem um, and we do see this in the later codexes that it specifically mentions that the tower are not able to upkeep the the colonial efforts and so they stop. And they almost take a breather. Um, during this, uh, the interim years, we don't know anything uh, between the first and second sphere. But this uh, understanding these these let's call it these exhalation periods, uh, they it will become really important later in the second and third sphere, where uh, we call that the age of confederacy. Uh, so it, it is important to understand that a sphere is a time period, very much like very much like how we regard like. Uh, AD uh, and BC, there is there is the first sphere, and then uh, and then that age ends, and then a, and then a new age will begin several decades or or even in some cases centuries after that. 
Um, so that's where it deviates from the human uh, notion of time. Uh, okay, cool. So that brings us to the end of the the first sphere expansion, also known colloquially as the Great Expansion. It lasted uh, a little bit over a thousand years uh, between 502 Millennium 37 and 956 Millennium 38. And it is regarded as as the the brightest period of the of the Tao uh, up into up until this point. Um, even even the second sphere is has has some dark periods to it. Um, but uh, but but this is this is the first major push where the Tao really their their culture is cemented in the notions that will follow them into uh, into modern 40k. So I'll open it up for questions, and we can kind of do a little bit more of a free flow of discussion if anybody uh, has anything that they'd like to bring up. Uh, Biotic, uh, as well as Co Biotic, just because Cosmonaut hasn't spoken yet, I'm just gonna I'm gonna invite him up first, and then I'll bring you up. Uh, we you should go. mention all the SEPs that were created during the first phase expansion. Uh, F can ask. A I, yeah, no, that's that, that's a yeah. Why don't you why don't you pick up on that as soon as uh, Cosmonaut uh, asks his question? Uh, go, Thank yeah. you very much for having me again. Uh, quick question, uh, just to make sure I'm 100% correct. Uh, you mentioned that uh, with each uh, sphere of expansion, it's almost characterized by a certain cast. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Um, okay, that's kind of interesting because I sort of have like a Hmm. Like a trouble sort of understanding that because it almost mm -hmm. seems like each, well, I suppose it would change afterwards. But does that characterization last continuously? So say um, in X-Sphere, uh, the, <clears throat> the Earth cast plays, is predominant in that expansion. Does the Earth cast sort of, um, oh, I'm butchering my words today, but does the Earth cast sort of stay present through in that sphere forever or does it take or does each cast take turns so it'd almost be like um it would take stages where the fire cast would initially come in and take mm -hmm. over a, a place and then the water cast would take over and spread whatever uh, knowledge or propaganda and then the earth cast would rebuild and then the air cast would come in or how does this characterization work? Sure. Um, okay. So, so. All right. To begin with, each cast has its has its purpose and has its place. There are several examples where there are crossover between the casts. Uh, for example, uh, the Earth cast and the Water cast work hand in hand on the science front, right? Um, and and an example of that would be things like the rail rifle. Um, or, or actually, in the in backwards engineering, the warp drive that was discovered on Luval, um, it specifically states in the Battlefleet uh, compendium that the watercast scientists were involved in unlocking that. So I find that you know I I find that intriguing, um, as much as I find the aircast becoming a kind of secondary military wing. Um, they're not they're not supposed to be the the aircast aren't initially supposed to be warriors. But as as the as the Tau become an interstellar uh, empire, the the by necessity the aircast has to you know start picking up weapons and 
and using them. Also, uh, I should have stated that the aircast evolves to live in space. So that impli- that implies that the the rest of the casts don't spend too much time in space. Uh, otherwise, otherwise they too theoretically would have evolved much like the aircast. So, so in the case of the first sphere, the aircast really uh, gets really gets the lion's share of responsibility. Uh, it's both a period of exploration and it's a period of uh, you know, uh, stellar conflict and uh, and and ferrying uh, civilians as well as military elements to new fronts and and new worlds to colonize. Uh, so so when I say that the aircast uh, kind of let, let's say can can really brand ownership to the first sphere expansion, um, I say it because this is the 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 most the most words on the pages uh, are dedicated to the aircast. Uh, the firecast doesn't. Um, I mean, it has the initial conflict between the Nikasar and the Tau likely didn't have anything to do with the firecast. Uh, because because the Nikasar don't um, are not terrestrial beings. They 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 live entirely in space. So if uh, and then and then simultaneously, perhaps the Tau did engage with the orcs, um, but probably not. As I stated before, the orcs don't seem to have invaded very many Tau world, if any Tau worlds during the first sphere. Uh, that these battles are also mostly in space. So the the firecast when it comes to the first sphere doesn't really. Uh, at least, at least historically, doesn't seem to to get onto uh, the the stage uh, beyond like exterminating like super predators, like uh, which Redricks can actually touch on when he talks about the uh, the different steps that 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 become established. Um, there, the 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 Firecast's first major conflict with a with another sentient race is during the war at the place of Union against the Orcs, fighting for the Crute. Uh, the crude homeworlds. So, so then, if you look at the second, uh, the second sphere expansion, this, in, at least in in my opinion, this really represents uh, a solidification of uh, of of the Earth cast because uh, enormous gains are made in uh, in technology. Uh, the 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 crisis suit, for example, is perfected. Uh, the broadside is invented. Um, really, it's a tech. It's it's an age of technological advancement, but I would say that that is more ha- that goes hand in hand with uh, the firecast more so. After after the war against the orcs, the firecast kind of starts to share the stage with the earthcast. While the while the aircast, because they've hit they've hit the edges of the stellar cluster, kind of slows down in terms of their their level of importance, and they start becoming. Uh, really important for transporting uh, uh, material to to established colonies, as well as these new war fronts that are opening up. Uh, there are expeditions into the greater galaxy, and we have the first contact between humans and Tau, or at least, let's say, the Imperium and Tau. Um, and this is before the Damocles Gulf Crusade. Uh, but I would I would say that the Earth cast and the Fire cast really share the second sphere as in terms of in terms of ownership. The third sphere is really the water casts uh, domain. I know that we we get into Shadow Sun and we get into the the, the battles for Mugulath Bay, but uh, but what we don't but, but we what, what's not really discussed is the fact that the water cast effectively turns the water cast has 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 made more 
boundary gains than the than the fire cast. That's something that everybody should know. The the water cast has managed to avert conflict more often than the uh, than the fire cast has had to commit to conflict. And I find again, I find that really important to understanding the Tau that they they have made more territorial expansions uh, using trade agreements, uh, colonization, and negotiation rather than co- physical conquest itself. Um, so, so the, I mean, so so that's so I would I would say that if you're if you're looking at the spheres and and giving ownership to the castes. I, I would say it's 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 just like when when a mandate is set by the ethereals. Like let's say the ethereals are like, you know what, we really need to we really need to start expanding out to this area of space. Uh, the ethereals don't don't break down how they're going to do that. They're not. That's not why the ethereals exist. The ethereals exist as almost like a, a management department, or uh, as I've stated to a couple of you, like a human resources department that actually works. They they don't they don't know how to uh, colonize a region of space. That's why the caste system exists. So the castes take a look at that situation that they need to now solve because the ethereals have said they need to solve it, and then the caste that is best suited to those problems is then kind of assigned an overall control of how to solve how to then how to then go through that problem. So uh, if it's kind of a question of like, do we is the system colonized? Like, is the system inhabited? Uh, yes, it is. There's an alien race there. Okay, so we should let the water cast figure it out first. The water cast goes in. They try to negotiate. They try to they try to do a first contact scenario. Uh, the the race is amicable and says that we can start colonizing this place. Awesome, great, cool, done. But let's say that that uh, alien race is hostile. Okay, so we might need to bring in the air cast to kind of interdict this area. Uh, or 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 let's say the the alien race has uh, has. Uh, stellar travel. Okay, so now they're actually they they could potentially be a threat to our our uh, colonization efforts, or even worse, they could be a threat to the empire itself. Okay, let's call in the fire cast. So you see that each problem has an assignment. Um, the the only thing that the ethereals really do is identify something that that the race needs overall. The casts take over to solve that problem. And if that problem ends up being too difficult or too complicated, the ethereal cast kind of reinserts itself to make sure that everybody's kind of like working in tandem with one another. If you don't have the ethereals present and the problem continues to expand, that's where you start having, uh, let's call it balancing issues. Um, and this is in Fehavari's uh, uh, work uh, about the Tau third sphere expansion. That it's very, uh, a, a Tau expedition's ethereal is assassinated, and the water cast was placed in charge. But but the water cast does not know how to execute a war against uh, the Imperium, and and as a result, the entire war effort is unbalanced. And the fire cast is extremely uh, upset that they are not the ones in control, and that they have to that they are continuously having to listen to what this. Uh, this poor O is uh, is saying to do, and 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 he's clearly making mistakes. So, so just that's kind of, that's kind of how the system works, Cosmonaut. Okay, so it's just more so of who plays a bigger role in actually taking the system is the characterization of a sphere. Exactly. 
Exactly. Right. Well, it, it it's one of the characterizations of a sphere. And yeah. does this have a larger effect on the culture of the sphere? I would say so. Um, if you look at uh, if you look at the third sphere, for example, um, you know, uh, Bugalath Bay is, uh, which was formerly called a Grelin, is is an example of the first time the Tau come into contact with Imperial style exterminatus, and yeah. that and and if you look at the back of the codex, it says that the the Tau of that region uh, are extremely tra- traumatized by, you know, what 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 can what could be considered a uh, you know to them a, a, a devastating war crime, and they don't like humanity anymore. There's no mention of them not liking liking other aliens, as is the case with you know let's say uh, Kelshan uh, or the fourth sphere, but but the the Tau of the Western third sphere uh, do not like humans. Um, and that and that really that kind of stains the water uh, in that in that that will most likely permeate the culture of those those sets of the third sphere, which, you know, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, the third sphere is almost half the size of the first two spheres. It's uh, it's an enormous region of space and it's and it's spread across three major fronts. So um, so for them to start disliking humanity that represents a, a major cultural shift where whereas you look at uh the more traditional all-inclusiveness that the first two spheres had as a culture um those are kind of diametrically opposed to one another um you know what and as an addendum to your question i would say that if you wanted to look at a, a period of time that was very distinctly the fire casts i would say it's when oshova launched his reclamation efforts after the Damocles Gulf in the interim years between the second and the third sphere and created the enclaves. The enclaves really represent a purely firecast run society and, and, and firecast run expansion. And I mean, already, you know, the, the enclaves were created in the, in the fires of genocide. Uh, they just, they, 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 uh, uh, Farsight himself committed exterminatus uh, to create the area of space that is now called the enclaves, um, no other no other Tau commander has ever done that um, uh, as, as as a tool. We know the Tau have the means to destroy planets, but they don't do it. Uh, Farsight did, and and that shows that that should kind of inform you of like what it's like when a when one cast is in control. Uh, and you don't have the the kind of the the guide uh, the guiding hat hand of the ethereals to kind of regulate uh, the responses uh, that those casts would have. So it's almost like sometimes each sphere can both represent like okay, here's the cast at work, but show what happens when each cast just sort of goes too far beyond and without exactly. sort of and- proper restraint, things just go all too wrong. Exactly, and you can see that in the second sphere with the Earth cast, for example, their their experiments go too far uh, as they try to like uh, harvest um, stellar energy. Uh, very interestingly, very much like the Necrons uh, successfully did uh, in their own heyday, but they actually set off several planets, or excuse me, several stars to kind of go into pr- uh, premature nova. Um, the oh, wow. the Earth the Earth cast does make each cast and each and each Tau is capable of, of making massive mistakes, which, again, I'm not a noble bright uh, Tau uh, enthusiast. Uh, I just think that you can get much more creative when they get grimdark, you know? 
Um, cool. Uh, so, so, oh, sorry, Redrix. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, you have the opportunities with Earth cast being very detached and less personable. Yeah. And then fire cast, obviously, mm-hmm. with their war crimes. Water cast with maybe being extremely hopeful in a sense and causing the death of lots yeah. of people. Then air cast. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what air cast. Actually, <laughs> you know it's interesting. I don't, coming yeah. down to the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, cool. Thank, thank you, Cosmo. Right. Uh, thank you very uh, much. Uh, you know what, Redrix? Do you want to? Um, just because no. we have uh, a couple hands that have been raised, you want to? We'll, we'll close with the seps that were formed. Is that okay with you? Yeah. No, that's fine. Okay. Cool. So I don't know who was next. I think let's let's invite Biotic since I yeah, think it's I. Biotic. It's question yeah. time. Uh, hey, Biotic. <laughs> Uh, so basically, what you've been saying uh, with the ethereals kinda is uh, what they depicted in uh, in the first book of um, Kayafa's Cain. Yeah, Kayafa's Cain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if I don't know if you guys read it. Yes. No. Those are some of the best Tal lore books around. Yes. It's somewhere in my house. And- it's very interesting because there's like they have like a procedure. It's like first we send in the diplomats. If the diplomats fail, we send in the merchants. If the merchants fail, then we send in the force. Right. Exactly. Um, the, yes. The the Tao have a tendency of wanting to use use force last, at least in the first two ages of expansion. Um, exactly. The yeah. Um, and this, also this... I... sorry sorry uh, and also what i wanted to say was that um if you think about it it's uh exactly how we as humans negotiate most of the time yeah yeah no yeah most of the time <laughs> um well, our, our our own colonial period is not a good example of that n- no 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 but like how um negotiating has evolved over the centuries so to say Right, right. Yeah, you don't, you don't. Bit of modern negotiation, basically. Right, right. And and this is this is kind of another example. If if where I I, I have kind of concluded that the Tau, short of like the fourth sphere, and I have my own issues with the fourth sphere. It's one of the reasons why I don't I don't mention it too much because it breaks with a lot of uh, precedents inside of the faction itself. But um, but the but the Tau are very much like a modern. Uh, a, a modern nation in in the real world. Uh, they're they're like a combination of like uh, American uh, colo- like kind of imperialism, as well as like the Federation and Star Trek. They're they're like a mix of the two, and um, and yeah, they, I I do I do hope that we that that in future Tau publications that they lean on that element that that the Tau don't. Uh, don't start with uh, with conquest. They start with like you know s- sending traders to to like offer you you know cool trinkets and stuff like that. It's like hey, wouldn't you like air conditioning in your in your hovel? And then and then once you accept the air conditioning, they start uh, you know they start they just start filling your your house up with Tao brands until finally one day you realize like this is actually pretty awesome. 
I think I, I think I'll do it. You know, it's better than corpse starch, right? So, <laughs> what, um, what's this lettuce? That's, that's Holy exactly shit. what they said in the photo. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. What was that, biotic? Uh, no, that's exactly how basically how they do it. They offer people infrastructure. Yeah, and exactly. Like infrastructure, so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, especially in forty k. And especially yeah. humans. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, I think uh, Black Comet was next. Uh, thank you so much, Biotic. I'm gonna, yeah. Um, and Dinkst, uh welcome. I thought I saw you raise your hand for a second. Oh, Black Comet is. Oh, okay, Bossman. Hey, Bossman. All right, all right. Hey. So um, I wanted to say a couple of things. So earlier when we were talking about how cast, how a lot of spheres were defined by casts. I think that's that's fair to say, but at the same time, I would say every single of the four casts sort of comes into their own mm-hmm. when the Tau reach space, kind of like a, a hole in them that has been filled. The air cast kind of naturally begin to adapt to living in the stars. It's like mm-hmm. sort of as they're meant to be there. The fire cast gain new enemies to fight. The, the water cast gain new people to to convert, to trade with. The Earth cast uh, gains immense responsibility when it comes to engineering and developing new technologies that will lay the foundation of future expansions. Mm -hmm. And I think to kind of tie into that, I feel like each of the the casts has this kind of, uh, I want to say, this moment where they, as a cast, failed in their duties, and as a result, they are they let that affect them significantly like the water cast they couldn't um they couldn't convert the orcs or they couldn't convert the drukari or or when the earth cast accidentally created the star tide nexus and i think Mm -hmm. for the fire cast specifically their moment of failure is when they couldn't save mugalith when Mm -hmm. the imperium showed up and despite the fire cast's best efforts an immense number of civilians died. And I think that part of plays into Farsight, who I think... I mean, I think Farsight personally has a bit of a hero complex, like a legitimate psychological mm-hmm. issue, where mm-hmm. he believes that he has to save everyone, that he that he can and he will. Like So he, as a result, he, he looks for problems. He looks for wars to start because he feels the necessity of fighting, the necessity of saving people, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would say, I, I would definitely agree with, like, the casts do play a fundamental part in in every aspect of a, of a sphere of expansion. I just mean that, like, uh, basically that a sphere has, like, the flavor of one of the casts on it, typically. There, there's usually a, a predominant element uh, whereas uh, a different cast would take a backseat, but but you do bring up a really good point that the 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 I think the tower very emotional, and that they view. Let, let's look at like like uh, Mekla, right? The uh, the for a really long time during I think it's the seventh edition codex, a lot of people thought that this ritual must be some kind of like formal execution that the ethereals uh, inflict on Tau who have failed. Uh, or or who need to be censored, right? But as you see in the eighth edition codex, they 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 state that um, that Tau 
experience the Mekla uh, ritual and then continue serving, um, which which means it has nothing to do with execution. And if anything, uh, I mean, if we look at the term censor, right, like it's probably some kind of uh, public recognition of your failure, like almost um, like corporal, like a little bit like a corporal punishment is something that was done uh, in front of the entire community. Like a thief was was beaten uh, or, or, or in, in some cases, you know, uh, maimed uh, for stealing from, from another member of the community. Uh, I think that the Tao regard failure very deeply and, and that it's something that they carry in them uh, that, that has less to do with, uh, with how other people might perceive uh, failure. Uh, my number one example to that would be Kais from the Fire Warrior novel. He's constantly uh, denigrating himself. He's constantly thinking that he has no place in the greater good. Uh, and and the response from the community and, and the ethereals, as well as his commanding officer, uh, El Lucia, is, is pity. Uh, that, that, a, that an individual Tao feels failure, but that his community pities them and, and and wants them to get better. I mean, Kais ends that story in in kind of like a like an asylum of sorts. Uh, the I, I would I would totally agree with you that the cast pro each cast and each sept probably carry their failures uh, very prominently in their in their psyches, and that I do really think it's the ethereals that try to curb. Uh, they try to curb the Tao away from like dwelling on these uh, these feelings of failure. Um, I'm reminded a lot of this uh, White Dwarf article that came out when they were uh, when they were first releasing the Tao rail rifles. And the Tao rail rifles uh, initially started off as an experimental weapon where uh, basically they overheated. If you rolled a one, uh, the uh, you know the guy using the gu- like plasma rifles, like the, the guy would be taken off the table. So in the story, the water cast and earth cast scientists are kind of like describing to the this fire warrior commander, like, "Oh, you're going to love this. This is this is we've we've figured out how to miniaturize railgun technology. It's great." Um, and after the example, the fire cast warrior that was that was uh, shooting the targets, uh, the the weapon uh, basically has feedback and it it scrambles his brain. And he has he basically has a stroke. And the fire cast commander is enraged that the earth and water cast have created a weapon that can kill a warrior. Um, and the ethereal that's standing nearby comes over and like basically tells the fire cast commander to, to like calm down, like that this is this is a, this is necessary. This is, it's a necessary death um, uh, to to progress technology. That this is the only way that. That things are going to be able to 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 go further, while while he kind of he 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 calms he kind of calms the whole situation down, but 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 the water cast uh, scientist like falls down to his knees at the fact that this at, at the fact that this death happened. So so again, I think that the ethereals fill this this almost like a, it's almost like a therapist, right, or a psychologist. That that steps in and says like you know like hey look failure, failure is bad right but you got to move on like you can't dwell on your failures and I think that Farsight is is mired in his failures I don't think that Farsight and, and again <laughs> another episode about Farsight but he has not gotten over Arkunasha, um, and 
and and totally has a hero complex where he thinks he has to save everybody. Uh, and yeah, no, it's a great observation, boss man. All right, thanks. Uh, I guess uh, uh, Black Comet. Okay, I'm sorry. It's I kind of you said so much stuff. Now I kind it kind of got I'm about to say kind of got lost. But, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm trying to work on that. <laughs> yeah, but well, I remember one thing. I think you're I I don't remember, like I really dang it. it's more of a comment slash question. So technically, sure. you're saying that towns don't have external anonymous weapons, but technically they do because they get to send the ship to blow up like Ultra Mars Star, we and said, it's running away really uh, fast. Sorry, we said that they have them; they just don't use them. Oh yes, yeah, so, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They have them. You know, they just don't use them. I like what you said about the. I'm sorry. Well, just just very quickly, just so you know, uh, the Tau have two known exterminatus level weapons. Uh, they have the uh, basically directed um, directed asteroids. They they throw rocks at planets, uh, and they use marker lights. Uh, uh, well, a, 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 a technology very similar to marker lights in order to guide asteroids to exactly where they need them to hit. Um, and they also use something called I think it's called ionospheric inversion. Where they don't, they don't. Uh, it, it's in the Forge World book. They don't, they don't explain much more after that. But it sounds horrible. Like I guess the idea that they can like invert a planet's atmosphere <laughs> um, sounds terrifying. But uh, but yes, okay. they do have exterminatus weapons. They just don't use. They they don't willingly use them. Um, but you were saying. Yeah, I was like, quick comment that asteroid thing. It sounds like it sounds kind of like wait, a cheap and pragmatic exterminatus weapon. You just oh, grab yeah. an asteroid, put in a railgun cannon, and just shoot it. Uh, I be- I believe the way that they do it is um, an attending Tau fleet will will use their gravitic fields to effectively like kind of nudge uh, the right type of asteroid and then direct it uh, direct it at the planet. So they use their they use gravi- very much. It, it's the same idea, I guess, as a railgun, but but it's not like they create a a giant oh. uh, pea shooter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have a joke in there somewhere, but I say it late after the Tao talk. But uh, I know, okay. I know. Comment is that it's like I really like how you describe the Ethereals because to me they kind of get a bad rap among the yeah. forums. Like, thank you, Bill Kelly. Thank you, Unbus. You know, yeah. I'm gonna make it now. This is a joke I gotta say. You know, I like it better when Anba led the Covenant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he I, would fit I, I, the Covenant. Yeah, he really would. Um, okay, just, just very quickly on the Ethereals. Um, I will say that, obviously, with, with new lore that's come out, the, the Ethereals are regarded as very much like a... Kind of like a... I mean, the forms are filled with the, the, the term mustache-twirling bad guys. They, they very much... Uh, they kind of have have become the poster boys for why the Tau are grimdark versus the original reason why the Tau are noble bright. Uh, I love the idea that the Ethereals are maybe not necessarily noble bright, but what they're doing is is that they're they're just always making the hard choice, and and that the hard choice is always for the greater community. 
I think that human beings, when when interacting with the Tao, are likely to be able to communicate pretty easily until you get to decision making, where the Tao are just entirely alien. Like, like to 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 be able to uh, f- the thing I do like about Anva, um, even though I, I there's the Anva in the Codex, and then there's the Anva in some of the books, and the Anva in the Codex is very much like. Uh, He's almost like an Obi-Wan type character from Star Wars. Like he's he very much believes that the Ethereals have to be at the forefront of danger to to navigate the problems that the casts are facing. But but Anvab made a giant mistake with Agrelin uh and Mugaloth and then later Mugaloth Bay uh because I don't think that he realized the the power of the Imperium to be able to both send the you know send assassination forces but also commit exterminatus on their own planet um and and the decision for the imperium to commit exterminatus is is i mean we joke around that like they just go around destroying planets left and right exterminatus is is it is an incredibly complicated and very political uh uh p- process uh and we'll talk about that in the second sphere when when the imperium actually failed to garner enough uh or excuse me, the the crusade leadership of the Damocles Gulf Crusade uh, failed to agree upon committing exterminatus on Dalith. Uh, but but for them to to, to commit it on Agrelin, Agrelin is a hive planet. There are, are hun- potentially hundreds of billions of people on a hive world, and for I don't know anywhere else in the Imperium uh, timeline uh, short of the uh, Horus Heresy. Where 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 the the imperial forces committed exterminatus on a hive planet? They're, the hive planets are, are are kind of like apex points of civilization for humanity in Warhammer Forty K. So it was a really big deal, but but Anva didn't see it coming. I prefer to believe that Anva, as well as the Ethereals, are always trying to make the best solutions and best choices for the for the community, and that's what kind of damns them. When dealing with Warhammer forty thousand, like forty k is not a place for the for the greater good, and it's not a place for uh, uh, beings like Ethereals. That they are they're completely selfless, and they're completely big picture thinkers. You know, and and forty k is just going to bite them uh, at at every corner, uh, no matter what they kind of choose to do, um, especially as the Tau expand further outward into the galaxy. So thank you, Black Comet. Um, uh, I'm going to move you to. I'm going to move you back to audience. Uh, does anybody have? I, I've seen hands go up uh, every now and again. I just want to invite you one more time to uh, to ask anything that you'd like. Yeah, no problem, Dengst. Yeah, uh, it was just uh, because you were uh, talking about uh, uh, the different ways uh, the the cast uh, committed uh, exterminatus or something and uh, the speaker couldn't find something for uh, Erica, so I just had uh, some quick thing there, but uh, okay. nothing more than that, really. Uh, sure, I'm sorry, was that uh, was that something you would like to bring up, or was that a, uh, a question? No, no, uh, it was uh, just because uh, the current speaker at that time couldn't uh, find an example, and I thought I had one, but now I've forgotten what it was about in the first place, so... Uh... Um, if you remember, you can DM me or Calmsword, and I can... Absolutely. I can bring no, it up. No, no, it wasn't important, not at all. 
Okay. Okay. No worries. No worries. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so I think that that kind of brings us to the end of the talk. Yeah, Retrix, if you want to go through uh, the sept list. So I'm just going to do them alphabetical order. There was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven septs, not including Tau um, that were <laughs> created during the first sphere. Um, the first one was Borkan, um, which is known as a place of knowledge. Bork literally translates to wisdom. Um, within the Tao language, and originally we br- we brought up the Pactrun, and with the Pactrun, they were it. Borkan was their home world for the Pactrun, but some disease that the Pactrun contracted eventually wiped them all out. And the Tao or people who are against the Tao like to mention that it may have been a disease seeded by the Tao in order to clear off the home world. But there's no pressure for them in this, the lore for them to clear off the homeworld because they're living peacefully with the Proctrune. So that, that aspect right. there just doesn't necessarily line up. But eventually Borkan began, becomes a place of knowledge. Um, most of the very prestigious military academies are done there. Um, I believe the Vesoni Vash academies for storm surges. Mm-hmm. Um, Storm Surge pilots, those are located on Borkan. I think there was a kill team book where they go through and kill a bunch of the students. I think that was on Borkan, mm-hmm. but I can't recall exactly. Comsword may correct yes. me later it, on that one. Was it Borkan? No, no, no. It, it, yeah, it was Borkan. Okay. Uh, there was a kill team that yeah wipes out a bunch of students. It's uh, it's really horrible. <laughs> yeah, killing killing a bunch of kids. Um, there's also a lot of Earthcast Tau come from Borkan, um, and obviously that's part of that kill team where they kill a bunch of Earthcast and the students for the Vesoni Vash. Mm-hmm. Um, the next sept is Dalyith. Um, we talked a little bit about on it's very far away from the it's the northernmost part necessary not necessarily northernmost but it is very north within the Empire. Um, originally it was a very wild planet uh, lots of they describe them as slithering segmented beasts which to us might mean very large snakes and there was a lot of deep blue foliage um, eventually hmm. oh yeah no uh, t- please uh, I'll, I'll add uh, I'll add it to the foliage in just a sec oh yeah and then it stated that it was tamed long ago and the third edition codex talks a lot about how the firecasts were the first ones to go in to kind of clear out an area for the rest of the colonists to set up and get their colonies in place um it doesn't mention that they uh, what's the word drove that species to extinction so there might still be a large in maybe some places they kept the nature preserved they may still have those segmented slithering beasts, but currently um, Dalyeth is very urban, and it is regarded as a place for watercasts to really excel, and a lot of traders come from there. And it's also the place of Commander Puritide, which we'll get into more in the Second Spear discussion. And next... Hmm? Uh, just just to add a quick thing about Dalyeth... Um, 
while Sakia, which is pretty nearby, uh, is considered the most populous sept uh, in, uh, in even in the modern empire, uh, Dalith is noted to having these large hex cities. So um, they're they're uh, it, just as Redrick said, it's a it's a very populated place, and uh, it also has uh, enormous centers. Uh, where aliens are are allowed to are allowed to be, so it's a it's a it's a planet that's probably closer to what uh, a more more sci-fi universe would be, in that there there are a a large population of aliens on the planet. Um, the and probably most it, it's regarded as uh, one of the nine wonders of the of the empire. These these patterns of uh, hex cities wonders. Uh, oh, nineteen. My mistake. Nineteen wonders. Uh, and uh, it is noted as being like, yeah, very, very purple and blue. Uh, the atmosphere itself, uh, or excuse me, the sky itself is regarded as uh, as purple. So it's a it's it's very much a, a jewel in the crown of the empire. Uh, thank you, Redrix. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. Uh, next one is Dianoi. Dianoi. I never remember how to say that one. Um, the name literally translates to twin moons, and there was a large period where it was kind of left off on its own. Uh, during the first period, um, and this kind of led to the uh, sept to be not necessarily backwards, but a little bit behind because they weren't as connected with the empire, so they didn't have as much earth cast. Originally, it was um, there was large, very large, as described as colossal reptilian beasts that ate a lot of the colonists before the fire cast could actually come in and drive these beasts back into the places they were coming from. Um, it doesn't necessarily state what the ecosystem, like if it's a jungle or if it's a plains, it just says it's a planet. So we don't know much more about what those beasts are or how they killed so many colonists um, just that they ate them. Uh, currently, Dianoi is... Uh, I lost my train of thought. It's known as a more backward planet just because they are behind. And then they also see a lot of orc invasions as well just because they're farther out from the Empire. And then we'll get into this more in the second sphere, but at the start of the second sphere, they are also the ones who... Uh, kind of start relations with the Vespid as they're only three light years to the galactic south the planet Vespid is to Dianoi. So a lot of times you'll see fire warriors and hunter cadres from Dianoi will have Vespid allies with them just because they're so close so they intermingle a lot. Yeah. It should next. also be noted that Dianoi uh, is also, as a result of the twin moons uh, that are tidally locked, uh, the planet is in kind of like a perpetual state of twilight, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, keep going, Richards. Uh Next is Falchia. Um, this one's mainly known for a lot of its Earth cast. We don't have much information on what it was before it was colonized, um, just what it is now, which is a Earth cast development planet at this point. And that's really we, all we have on that, other than it has a large amount of munitions factories. So it may be that they make a lot of their pulse rifle ammo and pulse rifle charges, rail rifle, all that stuff, and then ship it out to the rest of the Empire mm. at a much larger quality. And then I 
think Oshir from Fire Warrior, who is oh, or Lakaisa's dad, was actually from Falchia, or he was killed in the battle to save Falchia against a Tyranid invasion. Yeah, he was, I think, originally from Tau. Yeah, he or, was originally yeah, Tau, he's, and he's then he fought to Tau. save. Yeah, I mis I misread. Yeah. I got it messed up in my mind. And then next, I have Dahlia, uh, is Sakia, um, which is regarded as a very hot planet. And as mentioned earlier, there's it's the most populous planet within the Empire. Before it was colonized, it was described as having fierce, flesh-eating predators that the Firecast, before the settlers would even think about landing, the Firecast had to go in first and clear out all of these predators. Currently, um, the Sakia is one of, one of the more highly militar militarized planets, and a lot of fire warriors will come from this planet in order to support other hunter cadres. And then, uh, Commander Starshrike is from Sakia Sept, which I believe he was third sphere. We will cover more. Probably bring him up later once we get into his battles if there's a lot on him and then after that is Taun, which let me go to my notes it was the first independent sept after they really colonized after the Tao colonized their immediate area and Taun was it has a lot of orbital stations and it was probably an after aftermath of them having all those way stations on the planet, they wanted to really get set up on town. So a lot of aircast, their original space stations will come from here. There's also a very large fleet and because they have all these orbital stations to work on ships and produce more ships in order to help the rest of the empire. And another thing to note that actually on the planet within the on the Games Workshop website, they noted that each cast is equally represented on the planet. And they're very... Hope, they're not hopeful, but they're excited to continue to explore space. Because they were the first colonists, so they want to continue to spread out and spread the greater good within the Empire. And then lastly, we have Viorla, which is one of the more popular septs within the community um, partly because it's where from Farsight's from, partly because a lot of the artwork within the codexes feature Viorla um, fire warriors and um, Tau. The n notable things about it is the, plant, the sept orbits a binary star and because of that it has a lot of extreme temperatures and very difficult living conditions. Every Every year, um, there's a kind of a gap where they pass through the two stars, and several plasma storms start to ravage the planet. And this time is caused to been colloquially called the trial by fire, as it's a very violent time. It's basically you have the spaces between the stars kind of lancing out and shooting tons of solar flares and all of this at the planet caused it's a whole bunch of issues so that's why a lot of the viorla fire warriors are very they're described as hot-blooded so they're very tenacious in how they handle things 
and another thing is it has a very it, old. Mm, oh. what you uh, I just uh, just. Yeah, just super quickly about it. It also, uh, toward the beginning of the second sphere, uh, it also is invaded by uh, by orcs, which actually uh, managed to push through through the Western Vale Nebula. And uh, only because the planet passes through the trial by fire uh, is the planet not infested by orcs to this to this day. But they they do need to be hunted by uh, by Viorla. So you you have a major you have a major sept. That is in a inconsistent struggle against orc infestation, and every time it goes through the uh, trial by fire, it kind of gets a second lease on life. So, yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of cool. Also, most of the, uh, well, excuse me, all of the Tau settlements on Viorla are subterranean as a result, uh, and have these really cool like dome structures which keep them safe during the trial by fire. Um, yeah, sorry, Richard. You, no, you're fine. During that time when they were dealing with the orcs, they had a lot of pathfinders, I presume, die because they had to go out and deal with the radiation. Basically, they would run around and lure the orcs into these places where the plasma storms were particularly bad. Um, yeah. Another thing with Viorla is it has a very old academy that's probably been there since the instatement of the colony, used to train fire warriors. And a lot of fire warriors and fire cast who study the way of Matka will come from this planet because of that. And I think that's most, I think that's all of them, except for Tau, but that's the first thing we talked about, so. I guess a good thing to just mention about Tau is that as the capital of an empire that doesn't have faster than light communication, Tau uh, really relies on the on, on the on the mandate system. Um, when when word needs to go out to the Seps, uh, it's typically only during times of great either great strife or great potence. So like uh, so, it took years for the third sphere, for example, to be, to culminate because uh, everybody all of the Sept. Uh, governments needed to be on on the same page, and that took that's a process that took years. Uh, so even though Tau is the homeworld, uh, and it is where the Council of the Highest sit, and that's the that's the ethereal let's call it the, the ethereal High Council. Um, they uh, they govern from uh, from a position not really in the way that we would think about uh, another like the Imperial Senate, for example. Uh, the the council of the highest is really seems to really deal with with cultural problems or like uh, uh, issues that might that that will affect every Tao uh, on on perhaps a psychological basis rather than a practical basis. So so for example, when uh, when Anva is assassinated, uh, the council of the highest convenes and determines what to do next. Or when Anway. Uh, decided to step down as the spiritual uh, leader of the um, uh, of, of the of the Tao people. Um, the Tao Council of the Highest convenes and picks a new, uh, and, and in this case, picked uh, Anva. So the council doesn't doesn't rule um, because it would have no way of ruling, um, and and it's it, it Tao is more regarded as its own city state rather than uh, rather than a capital sept. In, in the in the way that human beings think of uh, origin points or or or, or at least uh, the center of empires. Now, uh, another thing to remember: uh, we started off this conversation with uh, Feotan. There, it, while it's never directly stated, 
in the first uh, in the first article about the Tau uh, in White Dwarf, where they talk about uh, Viorla and they talk about Tau a little bit, there is a city called the uh, uh, the White City, and it's where the council conven- the the council of the highest convenes. And it is noted that this is the only place officially, uh, both canonically and in universe uh, officially, that aliens are not allowed to go into it. Um, and that that makes it one of the more unique places in the empire, since travel is fairly uh, de- democratic. Um, you know, the, the the tower able to you know you can get on a on a ship and and go to another sept uh, seemingly no problem. Uh, similarly, with uh, with aliens, aliens are are allowed uh, so so long as I think they're client races or member species, they're allowed pretty much uh, f- kind of full access to 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 the Empire space lanes. Uh, aliens are not allowed in the the White City, and uh, it is here that the the Council of the Highest convenes, and supposedly it is built upon the foundations of Phaeton. So kind of cool, an interesting tidbit, a little bit of uh, hypothetical, you know, connecting the dots. But it makes it makes for an interesting capital to an. It's like a. It's like the Tau Empire doesn't really have a capital; it just has a home world, um, which I think is pretty cool. Um, well, yeah, Redrix, do you have anything else that you want to bring up? Mm, no, I think I'm good. All right, cool. Anybody else uh, like to raise a hand? No. Okay. Cool. Then that brings us uh, an end to the second episode of uh, Tau Talks. 